0: So Money, episode 772, Jacqueline Johnson, founder of Create and Cultivate, as well as Work Party. You're listening to So Money with award winning money guru Farnoosh Karabi. Each day, get a 30 minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. What do Gloria Steinem, Kim Kardashian, Jessica Alba, and Chrissy Teigen all share in common? Well, you've got to meet our next guest to find out. Welcome to So Money, everyone. I'm your host, Farnish Tarabi. Today, we are in conversation with Jacqueline Johnson. She turned a job layoff into an incredible career comeback as an entrepreneur. And her business, Create and Cultivate, now hosts the premier conference for female entrepreneurs. Women love her conferences because she brings in female powerhouses, a few that I just mentioned, as her keynote speakers, and she creates an atmosphere of camaraderie that can't be beat. Today, we'll be talking about how she started her business, the days of being an intern, making $18,000 a year, what it's like to meet so many incredible celebrities, and her latest project, an upcoming book and podcast called Work Party. Here's Jacqueline Johnson. Jacqueline Johnson, welcome to So Money. How are you? I'm so excited to be here. I'm good. This is a busy time of your life and year for you. You've got, obviously, Create and Cultivate is killing it, but also you have a book launching. You have a podcast. I think you also recently got married. My goodness. I,
1: I just do everything at once and drive totally insane.
0: <laughs> just jam-pack it all in. Oh, yeah, wow. why not? I mean, relative to other years, was this kind of like a busy year or like an average year?
1: It's been a wild year. I mean, I think the past two years actually have been sort of a roller coaster, both personally and professionally, which is awesome. And I'm sure, as you know, like when you get this kind of momentum, it's like you ride it out as much as you can. Um, and, and you know, you're kind of like hashtag blessed to have this kind of excitement. So I'm enjoying every minute of it.
0: Yeah, you can always sleep in 2019, I suppose. I love your story because it starts out where a lot of us start out, which is an internship or two or three and big dreams, big hopes. And so take us back to when you were making like $18 an hour, because that's also something that I share with you. I made $18 an hour at my first magazine job in New York, which is no feat, no small feat. Mm -mm. um, Did you have these big aspirations back then? Are you surprised to see where you are today? And two sidebar, how did you make $18 an hour work in New York City? Or sorry, $18,000 a year, which is less than $18 an hour. It's like $9 an hour. Yes, yes. I mean, and
1: this is also a while ago, but yeah, 100%. So I think for me, the one thing that stands out about myself and growing up and all these things, and I'm sure my parents and friends can attest to is I love working. Like I genuinely loved building a career, internships, trying new things. Like I always was like, Pedal to the metal driven by careers and success and all of these different things. And so I've always sort of been that way. Now, when I was first starting out, I wanted to be a magazine editor. I was like, you know, obviously I saw all the rom coms we saw growing up, all these things. And I was like, that looks fabulous. That's what I'm going to do. And, you know, did all the right things. I went to journalism school at NYU. I studied magazine production. I interned at Conde Nast. I made all the moves you need to make to do that. And and honestly fought my way through. Like I I talk about in the book, you know, my parents are, are car dealers in Florida. They have zero connections to like the bustling big city of New York. I had no ins. I had no relationships. I had no contacts. And I literally just like worked my butt off to get any sort of connection and intro. And I actually interned at a PR company, a small PR company um, under this woman, Caroline and And she, I mean, it was one of those things where it was her and I think a co-founder and it was the two of them out of her New York apartment, but big clients. And, you know, I was all of 18 and just like basically helping run that company it was obviously a great boot camp in working under self-made, uh, you know, entrepreneurial women and seeing their hustle. And luckily one of them went on to work at Connie Nast and I sort of, sort of weaseled my way in with an internship because obviously that internship program is very difficult to get into. Um, and then eventually obviously coming out of it was offered this job. So, uh, I was so excited. I mean, you know, dreams come true editorial assistant. Um, allure. It was like amazing. And then when I heard the salary, it was one of those things where I kind of had to give myself a reality check. You know, I didn't obviously have a trust fund and, um, you know, coming out of college, it was really, really difficult. And I actually had to turn down that job because I just couldn't make it work. I remember telling, you know, the HR team, I was like, um, I can make this work. I'm going to work on weekends. I'm going to work at nights. And they were literally like, no, no, no. Like you'll work weekends and nights at this job. But they were like, you'll get so many clothes and makeup. And I was like, I can't eat makeup. So
0: (laughs) (laughs) makeup doesn't feed my 401k. Sorry.
1: Exactly. So it was devastating, you know, obviously, because it was such an exciting opportunity and I quickly had to pivot into, um, a different type of job. And, and that's how I kind of got my start in marketing and advertising.
0: Fast forward, you launched your, um, business, which is, uh, well, you just, it's not part of small girl, but small girls PR, but, um, no subject, right. Kind of explain what that was. It was like a PR agency, branding agency, again, something that you started in your twenties. I think that's so admirable. You did it after a layoff too, by the way.
1: Yeah, thank you. And so No Subject had many iterations. So basically, when it first started, um, which was a long time ago, it was a social media marketing agency. So this is like peak social media timing when everyone and every brand is like, I need a Facebook page, I need to update it, we need to be sharing content. And I basically was like, I know how to do all that. Um, And at that time, there wasn't that many people um, offering that service. So social media agency out the gate, soon realized a couple years in, like, this is really difficult to scale. It's really difficult um, to hire against, you know, more and more brands were like, we want to do this in-house. So then I pivoted into more of an influencer marketing agency, um, focusing on working with influencers, again, peak influencer timing, and then eventually went into more experiential and events. So that company had a lot of different lives, a lot of different service lines, like over the seven years I ran it and then eventually sold it to small girls PR. Um, but yeah, it was, it was amazing. And and it was honestly happenstance. I had no business plan. I essentially was laid off, like you said, uh, reached out to my network as you do when you're looking for work and kind of said, does anyone know anyone who needs services that I can provide Started with a few clients, started with a few more, eventually hired employees and eventually grew it to what it became.
0: And on the side, because, you know, you weren't busy enough, you launched Create and Cultivate, which is this incredible conference that brings together um, women of all kind and headlined by people like Gloria Steinem, Issa Rae. Chelsea Handler, Jessica Alba, the list goes on. And it's just like the, the sort of thing that like, can you imagine it sells out within hours? Um, When you first got the seed of the idea for Create and Cultivate, where do you even begin to say like, I want to put bring together all these badass women? Did you, at this point, I know you didn't come from a lot of connections, but at this point, did you feel like you had a, a nice Rolodex that you were leveraging to do this? Or did you also have to kind of start from scratch for this kind of a conference?
1: I had a decent Merlodex and I would say the way I started was small. So basically the first crane cultivate, which like, most people don't even know about was a very small blip on the radar. It was about 50 women in Palm Springs and I had on the side of running no subject, kept my blog. So I had this blog going, um, I had a little bit of a following there. I was able to like sort of monetize that as like a side project, but mostly used it to meet other bloggers and influencers. So I had this great sort of network of up and coming influencers and bloggers who are now like superstars. Um, but essentially I was like, Hey guys, I'm thinking of doing this thing. Um, in Palm Springs, uh, it's going to be a day of workshops and talks, and and you know cocktails and dinner and all this stuff. And I, you know, I kind of want to use you guys to uh, teach workshops and host you know conversations. And so, luckily, I was able to really leverage that um, and get together a really amazing group of women to kind of host these things. Um, obviously, this isn't Kim Kardashian, but it was amazing women willing to lend their time and their expertise to other women. And so, it was very small and very informal. And I never in a thousand years thought I would ever do it again. It was like a one and done in my mind. Um, but I was like, that was so great and amazing. And I got to meet all these awesome women. And basically what happened was people just kept asking about it. Like when's the next one? Brands were interested. It got that kind of organic momentum that you can't, look away from and you can't ignore. And that's when I was like, okay, maybe we should try this again and maybe do it a little bigger. And then from there, it was like incremental growth until about three years in when it really exploded.
0: So take us to where Create & Cultivate is today. It's not just a series of events. This is a real business and brand that you're building. And of course, the the book and the podcast are offshoots of that. But what is your goal ultimately with Create & Cultivate mission?
1: Yeah, I mean, the mission for Create and Cultivate is to entertain, enlighten, and inspire women to create and cultivate the career of their dreams. So whether that's as an entrepreneur and building your own business, or whether that's using your entrepreneurial spirit to build your career in the corporate world, we want to provide the tools, tips, and tricks you need to be successful. And the way that manifests itself is like through three different channels for us. So it's community and offline experiences, it's content and digital And then it's going to soon be commerce and products um, next year, which is really exciting. Um, So we're sort of figuring out the ways where we can kind of provide value to our audience through different channels. And then obviously we have the podcast in the book as well.
0: Anything you guys are doing on the money circuit? In terms of like content or? Yeah, content, empowerment, education. How important is, is, is the money piece to these women who are out there trying to build their careers? It's the
1: most important piece. I mean, truly the number one question we get at conferences is hand up, how do I raise money? And I think that's like a really interesting conversation and we've had amazing VCs and experts and things like that come to the table and really provide that real talk information you need to know about raising money. The second biggest question we get is around negotiation. How do I know how much to charge? How do I know when to push back? How do I ask for that raise? All of those questions. So, and for me, I love talking about money. I mean, I always say women should not think of money as a four letter word. I mean, we really have to be able to speak about money, talk about money, and empower women who are making money versus hating on women who are seeing success and thinking it takes away from your success.
0: Work party is the new kind of forward-facing brand. It's the name of the podcast. It's the book. Why it's a really cool name. How'd you come up with work party?
1: Thank you. Yeah. Well, it was really funny because essentially the create and cultivate internal like vibe is like, we're throwing these parties every like six months. Essentially they are a ton of work. Um, and there are, um, a lot of things that go into it, but essentially it's a work party. It's a giant celebration of women coming together, empowering one another, sharing knowledge, um, and really going out and manifesting that in the world. And so we had this idea of like, when you think about work party, at least for me, or like when I look back, it's like this boring party you have to go to. It's like a holiday party. Oh, it's a work party. So we wanted to flip that on its head and really reimagine what a work party can be. So saying that you can go out and create and cultivate the career of your dreams. Oh, and guess what? You can have fun while you're doing it. Because truly, like I look back on my life and my career, and I never in a million years, when I was 12 years old, thought I'm going to run a female empowerment platform. Like I just I would never think that was a job. I mean, I was like lawyer, doctor, astronaut. Those are the things you think of when you think about businesses or building a career, especially when you're younger. But now it's really a, you can like I joke cuz I'm like Now being a content creator is a job. Now being a podcaster is a job. Now being all these amazing things that you can do on your own is a career. So it's really flipped its head, um, uh, you know, flipped the career on its head in that version of like, oh, work is like work, whereas work can be fun.
0: Work can be fun. Yeah. Is there something else you wanted to say? Oh, no, that's it. <laughs> okay. You're just taking a sip of water because that was a lot. Um, <laughs> all right. Let's transition to some so money questions for you, Jacqueline. I'm, I love having these trailblazing women on the show. I think you're going to be able to really inspire so many of us more than you have already with your money journey. So let's, let's kick it off with your... Number one, like approach to money. Like do you have a financial philosophy or a money mantra that guides you with the way that you manage your own personal finances? Yeah.
1: So I always say I'm pretty conservative when it comes to money. So my mom is an accountant. And so I grew up with like the overarching accountant mother who was always concerned with, you know what our credit scores were when we were like 13. (laughs) Um, so I've been around in like that kind of money conversation since I was really young. But for me, what always has really stuck with me is what my mom said. She always was saying, you need to be independent in your finances and be able to always support yourself at any given moment. So I always took that very seriously. And so for me, saving was a big part of my story, but also I would say, I'm very big on money in money out. So the reality of things, and it's like very basic is I always want to be making more money than I'm spending, which feels like duh, but it's something that people don't really think about. You know, they they don't budget. They don't think about things in terms of like the money in money out the door. But I think about that very specifically when it comes to my business and my personal life. And I want to be hitting certain thresholds along the way to make sure I'm saving for what can be down the line, like a future that I'm not just like scrambling to make things happen.
0: What did you do when you actually started to make more than $18,000 a year? Because it was a big jump, right? You were kind of – and you left that job. But it was – I I read that you made six figures in your early 20s and then that you sold a company and made even more than that, like triple, quadruple that. So at some point, your tax bracket changed. And how did that immediately kind of alter your – financial life if at all cuz i remember I'll, I'll be the first to share that when i first started making six figures in my 20s i was like 27 26 after making after basically doubling my salary like i got so excited i started to obviously think about where i would put that money to save but i got so excited as far as like what kind of clothes i could buy now clothes that wouldn't deteriorate i didn't have to go to h&m all the time I could actually like buy like a real suit or a real pair of black heels and that just made me feel like I'd made it even though I should really feel more like I've made it when I see money in my brokerage account. Right. But you know what I mean. You're 26. That stuff excites you.
1: Oh, totally. And like legitimately, so I started when I was in my corporate career, like the corporate phase of my life, um, I started making a lot of money really quickly. So I doubled in salary pretty much over – like three times over two years, only because I moved positions, which we all know about. And so I moved into different companies. I also had a very specific skill set. So I was an expert at, you know, quote unquote, social media. And this is in 2008, when no one else knew about this, I was sort of first to market in that realm of employee. And so Brands saw that they capitalized on it, they saw the campaigns I was doing, and I moved up very quickly. My parents legitimately thought I was a drug dealer. They were like, we don't understand why you're getting paid this much money. Like, what is what is this company? And I was like, I swear it's legit. Like they were just so confused. But the reality was it was really exciting. And I remember my biggest like money move I made was, and, and to this day it's the thing I spend the most money on, was like real estate. So I remember I moved into a really nice apartment in New York. I mean you know, it was a studio, but still it was a doorman building, which is like upgrade life in New York. But it was a big deal for me because I had been living in a one bedroom, mice infested place for my whole life in union square. That was pretty nasty. And I just was like, you know, hustling my face off in New York. And it was one of those things where I remember just signing that lease and, and obviously being horrified at how expensive it was, but it was like I felt so empowered that I could do something nice for myself. Like, And to this day, like that's the exact same thing I did when I sold my company. Um, I bought a house. So it's funny because like that's how I really think about spending. I'm not like a big spender on clothes. I'm not a big spender on those type of things. I mean, I probably should be more. It's But for me, what excites me is like, how do I use this capital to reinvest and make more money in the long run?
0: Your parents Your- must have done something right. Right? I mean, maybe it's in your DNA, but I wonder if also you had some good learnings growing up. Our sponsor, Chase Slate, has done a survey looking at the kind of like discussions families have around money with their children. And they did find that over half of parents have had a conversation about money with their kids recently. So what may have been a real important life lesson for you learned early on thanks to Either the, the examples that your parents led with, or the actual, you know, lessons when they sat you down and told you about something money related.
1: Yeah, I mean, I really have to credit my mom. um, But one of the things she did early on in teaching my sister and I about money was she opened a credit card for us, I believe when we were 14. So we opened a credit card and every month she would make us get gas once a month with a credit card for her. We'd use our own credit card, we'd put it in and then we'd like pay off that, I don't know, 30 bucks it was every single month. And she was showing us and building our credit along the way why that was so important. And to this day, I have incredible credit because I've taken those things and applied them to my life throughout it. But I started really early. Um, And it was one of those things where I had three jobs in high school, I was doing I always was working and saving money. And my mom would always show me, hey, this is how much you made. This is your play money. And this is what you can spend. But here's what's going in your savings. And so I've always been taught from such a young age to save, 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 save. It's so important. And I think that comes from the fact that one, my parents are entrepreneurs, they own a business together. So I've seen that like hustle lifestyle and known it for so long. Um, And two is that my mom was always very conservative with money. Like I always joke because I remember the first time um, I bought something from a mini fridge and like the guilt of my mom, like, (laughs) coming stay at hotels growing up. She was just like, don't touch the mini fridge. And it was so funny because I was like, I can afford this $4 water or whatever. Um, but it was things like that where we were always very careful about money. She always wanted us to be able to, especially my sister and I be able to always, no matter what the situation, be able to walk away from a bad situation and be able to support ourselves
0: financially. And these days, you literally cannot touch a mini fridge because it is uh, activated by motion. So yeah. <laughs> I got charged once for like $8 for a, a Diet Coke that I did yeah. not even touch because like I walked past the mini fridge and it <laughs> rattled. Uh, but I think, I think we can all relate to that mini fridge story. And to this day, I don't care how rich you get, no one's like, if you're paying $18 for cashews, you've, you have not made it. You've lost your mind. Yeah, that's a problem. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's a problem. Um, tell us about. So we kind of did get a glimpse into your so money moment. Uh, perhaps that was when you got to get the apartment that didn't have the the rats in it. Um, <laughs> but even even with like, well, so. When you first started to feel like Create and Cultivate was capturing a lot of momentum, what was the first sign of that? Um, and what do you think it is about your events in particular that women can't get enough of? Because there are, listen, there are a lot of different kinds of conferences and events for women, by women that go on all the time all year. Yours has really differentiated itself, not only in, in like the women who are so excited to attend, but the kind of people that attra- you attract to the stage is on unprecedented, unparalleled. So maybe I just answered my own question, but what do you think is the the secret, sauce? Yeah, the secret
1: sauce? Yeah, no, totally. I mean, I think it's a combination of things. So when I was running my first company, I, a lot of what we did was we created and executed influencer events. And so we've all seen these on Instagram. They're super lavish, super luxe, really beautiful. And what I realized was so many women who weren't influencers were commenting, Oh my God, that looks amazing. I wish I could go to something like that. All, you know, all these things. And what I realized it was, why isn't someone throwing these type of events that are beautiful and fun and amazing, but also educational and valuable for women. Um, and so what I did was I really applied that model to a, cons- I took that influencer model and applied it to a consumer model. And when I really look at create and cultivate, I wanted it to be a full 360 experience. So a couple weeks before the conference i sit in a room with everyone i say walk me through my experience as an attendee walk me through registration walk me through when i have to go to the bathroom walk me through when i have to do all these things from soup to nuts and i want to make sure they have a premium experience um and, and the reality is is we always try to keep ticket prices as low as possible um because i really want to give this access to women and which is also why we do free events um because it's really not about capitalizing on our audience it's really about bringing in brand partners to subsidize make these experiences great um but when it came to the panelists, I really wanted a wide range of women. I didn't just want content creators. I didn't just want celebrities. I didn't just want CEOs and executives. I wanted a full range of women that could provide a like overarching story and narrative that can be applied to any type of business. So I wanted you to hear from really successful CEOs. I wanted you to hear from marketing executives, but I also wanted you to leave feeling inspired and hear from these like mega, mega stars. Um, but also incorporate and talk about political issues and diversity and inclusion and, and equal pay and all these difficult issues. And I think there's no reason why you can't have fun. It can't be beautiful. It can't be like an amazing experience. Oh, and also talk about business, talk about money and talk about these difficult topics. And it's something that men have a very hard time wrapping their head around. I mean, they see a pink book cover, they see a pink stage, they see Kim Kardashian, and they're like, that's not business. And I'm like, no, this is a real business. The women attending have real businesses and the women speaking, guess what? They have real businesses too. And it's something that I've really pushed to the forefront and women obviously get it. But it's funny because it still has that like stigma attached to it, but we've really pushed through, created a name for ourselves. And I think, you know, we're just focused on our girl, our woman, our attendee, um, and making her life better.
0: All right. Okay. Tell me a failure, a money failure that you've had that was extremely important to go through because it's now really prevented you from more mistakes of the kind.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think like some of the I would say the most prominent money failures I had is something that like a lot of people can relate to. So when I first started out um, running my first company, obviously, like you're just like, I need to get money in the door. Like I need to get rolling. And I did a lot of handshake deals. I didn't wait for contracts to get signed. I was like, they're going to do it. Let's do it. Let's start on the work. Let's get going. And then push came to shove and things like happened and we didn't get paid. And I didn't have the paper trail to back it up. Um, And those are really hard lessons to learn when you're first starting out because you're so eager. You want to be successful. You want to make the client so happy. But one of the biggest lessons I learned and the advice I give is get everything in writing, wait for the contract to be signed. Don't, you know, you don't have to rush it and you can be aggressive about getting that done before you do any work. And, um, it was something I really, you know, regretted like and learned from when I was first starting my business.
0: Wow. So, um, how bad was it? Did you, was it the majority of your vendors or was it just a few vendors? Was it a trend? (laughs)
1: Yeah, it was a handful, but there was a few people that we did um, a lot of work for and actually even had some signed contracts, um, but had to obviously bring in lawyers and then lawyers had expedite this and that. And you're a small company and you're, you're going up against these big, big clients. And it was one of those things where like social media didn't exist. I couldn't like put these people on blast. Like, um, you know, now there's like some site, um, that my employees told me about where freelancers will report and talk about companies that don't pay. Mm-hmm. And I think that's so empowering and amazing. Cause you can obviously share your stories and now companies are like, we don't want to get on that site. But at the time I was just some girl in downtown LA that they were like, I don't have to pay her. She won't, she can't do anything. <laughs> and it was like, I didn't have the resources to pay a lawyer, you know, X amount of dollars. Like if they owed me $5,000, I ended up having to pay the lawyer $2,000. And then I'm like, what is it really worth this $3,000? It was sort of that really tough situation to be in. But there was a few times I really fought and pushed back and was able to get paid, which was great. But there was a few times I lost out and it's, it's a real bummer. And I, think about those people quite often. Um, now that I have a little bit more success and a little bit notoriety and recognition, Mm. um, and definitely always think back to God, if I knew, if I had the power I had now that I had then, but you know, the only thing you can do is just warn other women about people like that. And honestly, any entrepreneur, um, yeah. And just kind of, rub your success in their face. No, I'm just kidding. But
0: <laughs> well, and, and, you know, it's true that it, unfortunately it is a cost of business. Sometimes yep. you have to budget for the scammers. Yep. Unfortunately, yep.
1: Uh, and it's pervasive, like it really is a problem, but it, it's just it, for any freelancers out there or people going through it it, it, it does happen. Unfortunately. Well, you, you went, you took
0: the high road Yeah. <laughs> All right, Jacqueline, let's round this out with our f- so many fill in the blanks. This is when I just start a sentence and then you finish it. First thing that comes to mind. All right, when, if I won the lottery tomorrow, let's say you won $100 million, the first thing I would do is I would love to start a fund to invest in female founders. That's a great extension of Create and Cultivate and Work Party. I mean, why not? Like, bring it back into the community.
1: Exactly. I mean, hashtag goals, but I mean, that is definitely um, something that I would
0: love to do. Awesome. I love that. Okay. On a good, onto a good start. Okay. One thing I spend my money on that makes my life easier or better or both is? A housekeeper. Yes. Like, the best thing that's ever happened to
1: me, honestly, I, it's one of those like luxury expenses I use, but it, there's nothing better than coming home and having a clean house.
0: I just came home before I interview to a clean house, um, and it'll be destroyed within 24 hours, though, because my kids. I mean, like, let's be honest, like four hours. I've already begged my son not to like throw out all of his toys onto the floor. Just give me like 30 minutes of enjoying the harmony that is the feng shui of my apartment for 10 minutes. Um, yeah, you'll see. You'll see what it's like <laughs> one day. Um, it's all good. It's a. It's a. Someone said to me, it's like uh, The Messy Magnificent Life. Janine Roth wrote that book. Pick it up. Oh, so true. Uh, all right. One thing I love to splurge on that I am unapologetic about is…
1: Travel. Mm-hmm. I love to travel. I don't take a lot of vacations, but when I do, I really go for it.
0: But no minibar. But no minibar. <laughs> mini bar is off-wimit. limits. right. When I donate, I like to give to blank because…
1: Time's Up. So we have a partnership with Time's Up at Create and Cultivate and me personally. And I just think it's so important right now. And it's it's so crucial to give to causes that obviously give back to the community.
0: I love that. All right. One thing I wish I had learned about money growing up is?
1: <sighs> it's really hard to get and really easy to spend.
0: Mm-hmm. All right. And last but not least, I'm Jacqueline Johnson. I'm so money because? I support other women. Thank you so much for the work that you do, Jacqueline. We will be keeping an eye on future events with Create and Cultivate, but also your book and your podcast launched this week. Work Party is available everywhere. And I love the tagline. First we leaned in, now we stand up. It's such a great time to be a woman, isn't it?
1: Absolutely. Absolutely.
0: Thank you so much learn more about Jacqueline's upcoming book and projects, head over to workparty.com. You can also follow Jacqueline on Twitter at R Johnson, also on Instagram with the same handle. If you missed any of this, don't you worry. You can just hop over to somoneypodcast.com and listen to the audio as well as read the transcript. And while you're there, if you've got a question for me, click on Ask Farnoosh and you can leave me a question there as always. And I'm hanging out on Instagram, folks. I don't know what you're doing, but spending a lot of time there answering your questions, posting behind the scenes, in front of the scenes. It's a ball. I would love for you to connect with me there. I try to answer things within, you know, 24 to 36 hours. If you've got a really important question that just can't wait, that's probably the best place to reach me at Farnoosh Tarabi. Thanks for tuning in everyone. And I hope your day is so money.